Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Daniel. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that live throughout the earth, may, may you have abundant prosperity. The signs and wonders of the Most High God has worked for me. I am pleased to recount. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his sovereignty is from generation to generation. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. This week, we are in week two of a four-week stewardship sermon series that we are calling Difference Maker, which means we are talking about how we can be a people who are making a difference, which I think is something that we all want. I mean, really, part of this series is assuming that most of you listening want to be someone who is making a difference in the world that you want to leave the world a little bit better than, than you found it, which is great. And again, something that I assume that all of us desire, at least to an extent, for how we will be remembered for the legacy that we will live. But I think the reality is, while, while we all want to make a difference, we feel the pull and, and the pressure to simply be like everybody else. In other words, we want to make a difference, but we are terrified of actually being different. The truth or, or kind of the backbone that, that we're clinging to over these, over these four weeks is this. If we want to be a people who are making a difference, we have to be willing to be what? To be different. And for a lot of us, I think that will be stewarding our time and stewarding our gifts and our money and our resources differently from everybody else around us so that we can make a difference, both as individuals and also as, as a church. If you remember last week, we looked at the first eight verses of the book of Daniel, and we, we remembered together what the framework is for the story that we find in Daniel how the Babylonian Empire had defeated Israel and destroyed Jerusalem, how they had taken the best and the brightest Israelites back to Babylon and gave them the king's food and let them drink from the king's cup and educated them in Babylonian literature and in Babylonian religion and culture with the hopes that one day they would no longer be Israelites. And instead, they would be Babylonians, that they would be just like them. And the questions that I asked you to wrestle with over this last week were, where in your life are you remaining faithful? Where in your life are you compromising? And where is it in your life where you have some awareness that you are just like everybody else around you? This week, we're going to look at the story of three people who chose to live differently, who chose to remain faithful, and it made all the difference in the world. In fact, the difference that it made is what we just read for our scripture reading this morning, but you may have missed it. What we just read is King Nebuchadnezzar, the supreme ruler, the top 
guy in the destructive, merciless Babylonian empire, the empire that, remember, seeks to erase all other cultures that they conquer, to assimilate everyone that they're able to overcome into their culture and into their religions. Here, just just four chapters into the book of Daniel, he says this about the God of the Israelites, about our God. I want you to hear it again. The signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me, I am pleased to recount. How great are His signs! How mighty are His wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His sovereignty is from generation to generation. King Nebuchadnezzar went from trying to eliminate the religion of the Israelites to calling their God his God and calling his kingdom an everlasting kingdom. I mean, it's hard to describe just how big of a shift that is. I mean, just how different that is from where we left off last week in chapter 1 of Daniel. I mean, that is a massive change. And the question that I want answered for us this morning, how did he get there? How how did that change happen? How was that difference made in in his life? And the answer to that question, I think, is found in chapter 3 of Daniel. In verse 1 of chapter 3, this is what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits. King Nebuchadnezzar makes this golden statue that is 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Solid gold, absolutely huge, a massive accomplishment for someone to build. Now, we don't know what this was an image of. The scripture doesn't, it doesn't tell us. It could have been of one of the Babylonian gods. It could have been of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. It could have been of some important person in their culture or in their literature. I mean, there's really no telling what this was a statue of. Which means, I think it's really important for us to note here that the building of this mysterious golden monument in itself is not a bad thing to do. Really, I think this is something that is pretty morally neutral for somebody to do. Were there better ways for that money to be spent? Yes, probably there were better ways for that money to be spent. But we travel all the way across the world to see all kinds of art and structures and architecture and just things that we believe are important enough for us to spend our money on because of what? Because of the impact that they have had on our culture. I mean, really, I think it's pretty intentional here that we don't know what exactly this image is of. Because for one thing, it allows it for us to just represent the pinnacle of what humans can create with their own hands. But I think it also invites us to insert ourselves into the story here. Because the truth is that we are surrounded by golden images that we incorporate into our lives each and every 
day. And maybe you're thinking, uh, Ross, the last time I checked, I don't have a 90-foot-tall golden statue that is a normal part of my daily life. And I'll concede that to you. I think, I think you're probably right about that. But that's really not, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I want you to think about it this way. This is how a mentor put it to me when I was in seminary. And this is how I look at this story ever since. A 90-foot-tall golden image would cast a really big shadow. So think about it this way. What, what is it in your life that is casting a big shadow? Don't go straight to the bad. Don't, don't go straight to the things that you need to cut out of your life altogether. Go, go to those things that are just in the middle ground, but that play a really important role in your life, that, that cast a really big shadow over your daily life. The first thing that I thought of this week was my phone. My phone cast a really big shadow in my life. Maybe for you, the first thing that popped in your head was your job. Maybe you know that your job cast a really big shadow in your life and places a lot of demands upon your time and, and your energy. We all have stuff in our life that just takes up a lot of space that casts a really big shadow, morally neutral stuff, but a really big shadow. What are the golden images of your life? The golden image in the story may start morally neutral, but it doesn't stay morally neutral. If you keep reading chapter three, you find out that King Nebuchadnezzar issues this decree that whenever you hear the sound of the horn and the trumpet and the lyre and all of these things, but whenever you hear the sound of these things, you are to what? Fall down and worship this image. And if you don't, you'll get thrown into the fiery furnace. And now we have a problem. Now there's a problem with this golden image. And the problem for the Israelites that find themselves in Babylon during this time is that now King Nebuchadnezzar is commanding them to give something to this golden image that they know they just can't give. Suddenly, this 90-foot-tall golden statue is asking way too much of them because they know that the only thing that deserves to be worshiped is God. Which I think leads us to, to, to the real question this morning. As we think about how we're stewarding our lives in a way so that we can make a difference, knowing that it may make us different, all that stuff, right? What of those golden images in your life are asking too much of you? What of those things in your life that you know cast a really big shadow and look, they're fine, they're morally, they're, they're no big deal, right? Except, except when they begin to ask too much of you. I mean, again, go back, go back to the phone, right? It's fine. Maybe it's even good. It sure does help me stay organized. I mean, if I didn't have a computer in my pocket at all times, I would miss a lot more appointments than I miss, than I miss now. But there is no questioning, no questioning that my phone wants way more of me than I would be good to give it. I mean, it wants more of my time, it wants more of my energy, it wants more of my focus than I know that I should be 
giving it. I mean, we have apps on our phone that want more of our money and more of our attention than we should be giving them. And to make it worse, they're designed by people who are experts at getting our attention and getting our money, right? I mean, the phone itself is fine, but is it asking too much of you? I mean, just to be clear, the the phone example is really just low-hanging fruit, right? My guess is that there are plenty of other things probably with much higher stakes in your life that you know are asking too much of you. Asking more of your time, more of your focus, more of your attention, and more of your money than you should be giving them. No telling what it is, right? Might be different for every single person in this room. Maybe it's your political views or some ideology that you ascribe to outside of your faith. Maybe it is your job. Maybe that is the thing that you know is asking too much of you right now. Or maybe it's youth sports. I feel like we talk about this a lot right now. Good thing, right? Morally neutral, but I would say a good thing. But oh my goodness, they can ask too much of us, can't they? Right? Maybe it's a habit or an addiction in your life that you know you are giving way too much of yourself to. The list itself could go on and on and on. But the question is so simple, y'all. What is asking too much of you? What is it in your life that is asking you to give what you know you should only be giving to God? I mean, of course, in the story, everybody falls down and worships the golden image when the harp and the lyre and the trumpet play. Everybody except for three Israelites named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know the rest of the story. King Nebuchadnezzar finds out. He's furious. He's burning with anger. He arranges a meeting for him and these three to sit down. And, and essentially what they do is, is they double down on him. They say, look, King, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you threaten us with. It doesn't matter what you hold over our heads. We are never going to bow down to this golden image. And to make it even, even higher stakes for you. We really don't care what you do to us because we believe that our God is going to save us and he is the only one that we will ever bow down to. And so King Nebuchadnezzar does it, doesn't he? I mean, the scripture says he turns the furnace up as hot as it will go and he puts them in shackles and he throws them into the fire. But something happens that he doesn't expect. When he looks into the furnace, he doesn't just see three people, he sees four. And they aren't shackled up, lying on the floor, they're up and free and walking around. And when they come out of the furnace, the only thing that is burned, the only thing that is burned, not their clothes, not their hat, not their shoes, the only thing that has been touched by the flames are the shackles that the king put them in. That is so good. Oh my gosh, I love this story. I mean, there's a reason that we tell this story to our kids. I mean, just that, that is enough for us this morning. So good. I mean, there's so much that we could take away from this story, right? The first thing is that when we commit to remaining faithful, when we are willing to be different from the world around us, we just might end up in a furnace, but we can trust 
that God will be with us, and that on the other side, the only thing that will be burned are the shackles that are holding us back. The second thing is that when we remain faithful, when we're willing to be different, when we are willing to only give to God what we know is God's, when we refuse to let the golden images of our life rule over us, when we don't allow anything, no matter how big of a shadow it casts in our life, to compromise our ability to do the two things that Jesus tells us are the most important things for us to be doing, to love God and to love neighbor, when when we unapologetically make those two things the number one thing in our life, even if it makes us different from everybody else, even if it makes us end up being thrown into a furnace, God will use it to make a difference. I mean, the truth is that if Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, if they had bowed down to that golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar made, his life wouldn't have changed a bit. But because they didn't, his life changed forever. I mean, that is the difference that they made. And I believe that is the difference that God is calling us to make. I mean, y'all hear this and believe it, and you're going to hear me say this for the next two weeks as well, but, but believe it. God wants to use you to make a difference. God wants to use this church to make a difference in the community around us, but for that to happen, we are going to have to be willing to be different. I mean, this week, I, I couldn't help but wonder what kind of difference God could make with us as individuals and and as a church, if we actually followed in the footsteps of these three young men? I mean, what if we actually committed to only giving to God what we know is God's? What if we really did stop bowing down to those golden images in, in our life? What if we really did find an inner peace with knowing that in order for God to use us to make a difference, it's going to mean that we're probably going to be a little bit different from everybody else around us. What kind of impact could we actually make? How would God be using us? Be using us in our families? Be using us at work? Be using us when we walk down the aisles of the grocery store? I mean, what, what if we actually said that was how we're going to live our lives? My hope for me and and my hope for you is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by courage and boldness that I believe only comes from God, that one day we just might find out. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, my name is Ross Furio. I am one of the pastors here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. And I am so glad that you joined us this week for our message. I want to remind you that if you ever want to join us in person for worship, we are here every Sunday morning. We have two worship services, both at 10 a.m. One is a modern worship service in the chapel. We call it the gathering. And the other is our traditional worship service in our main sanctuary. Again, both of those are at 10 every Sunday morning here on our campus. 
If you need us for any reason, I hope that you will jump on our website, www.bluffparkumc.org. You'll find ways to contact any of the pastors here on staff. We are here for you, here to walk with you through life in, in any way that you might need support. We hope that you're going to have a great week, and hopefully we'll see you soon.